The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Bryant sends one a deep left way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet. It could be. Cobweb. 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 Holy cow. Look at the left fielder. He has the ball in the air. He has that one. And here comes the cup out on the field. is now in hour number two on this thunderous thursday glad to have you with us streaming live of course at tcmartinshow.com go there for all of our stuff up there the current interview page the past interviews the classic interview page up there our conversation with trevor maddich from yesterday previewing the afc and nfc championship games but also talking about best sports movies and actors trying to portray these legendary athletes in the movies. That was pretty interesting stuff. That's up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. And also, again, talking about the championship Sunday. Looking forward to that. The Niners and the Eagles and the Chiefs and the Bengals. All right? We've got all of that going. A whole lot more. Scott Spritzer is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. And then we'll get his takes on both games, sides, totals as we continue to talk about the Patrick Mahomes injury as well too. So a lot still on the table here in hour number two of the show. All right. Uh, right now we talk a little major league baseball and the uh, major league, uh, the baseball hall of fame yesterday um, announced that uh, Scott Rowland will be the only inductee this year, garnishing 76.3% of the votes as you know, it takes 75% of the um, baseball writers uh, votes to uh, get that. And then one of those esteemed writers is our good friend who joins us uh, right now and joins us a lot from USA Today, the one and only Bob Nightingale. Bob, what is happening, my man? Good, good. Hey, you forgot Fred McGriff. McGriff's on stage, too. Why did I just say, um, yeah, well, that's, you're right. Fred McGriff, yeah, exactly. That's so let's go, let's do that. Well, he, was voted, yeah, he was voted in December, so it's easy to exactly. forget. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the crime yeah. dog. So we got yeah. two, but still, Bob, doesn't that seem a little strange? Like only two and then one with the announcement that, that gets uh, 75% of the vote yesterday? Yeah, it's just hard to break through. I mean, they, uh, even those people that say, ah, he wasn't a Hall of Famer. You know, you got to be so exceptional. You know, what just, one percent of the people that ever play the game are in the Hall of Fame, so you know everybody's got flaws. I, I, I thought on the writers' ballot, the best player on there, uh, you know, you take away the steroid guys with the, uh, you know, A. Rod and May Ramirez was Gary Sheffield. I, I thought yeah. Sheffield is a, a great Hall of Famer. Uh, he hasn't come close. Uh, Jeff Kent had the greatest offensive uh, stats, uh, power hitting stats, and many second baseman who ever lived, and he didn't even come remotely close. I know Kent was like forty three percent, and then you know I'm going to get into more of this with you about you know guys falling off the ballot, and and Kent's now falling off the ballot. That was like his last try, and like I said, only forty. I don't, I don't know. And you know, Bob, we go through this every year, and I know that people talk to you about it because again, you're you you get to vote, but it just seems like that this process is always scrutinized each and every year. So for that scrutiny, fair. Or unfair? Well, it's fair. I mean, people, <laughs> you get it both ways. You know, people are going, hey, how can Scott Rowland get in the Hall of Fame? And then the other way, you know, like you just said, it's like, wow, well, just a, uh, two Hall of Famers by the, by the writers the last three years. And we right. almost pitched uh, two shutouts in three years and three, we've been a third shutout since 2013. Now, with the guys coming to battle, it'll take, you know, uh, Adrian Belcher is in. Joe Mauer's got a very good chance to be in. And, you know, Helton will be in next year, probably Billy Wagner too. So we'll start to see more Hall of Famers and just, just kind of strange time. 
So why Scott Rowland? Okay, now I know that he was a seven-time All-Star, an eight-time Gold Glove winner. But again, I mean, I don't know about you, but when you, you're covering the guy, and you know, we're watching Scott Rowland during the course of his career, are you know, when he comes up to the plate, are we saying, "Hey, that's a future Hall of Famer"? I mean, I wasn't, but why? Well, Scott, I wasn't why, either. <laughs> why, right. So why Scott Rowland? I think just see, with the analytics now, when people say, "Oh man, look at his WAR score," uh, look, there's only a third baseman in there. Uh, you know, his, his eight goal glove, the defense. Well, 18 third baseman. I believe he's the 18th third baseman in there, right? Yeah, yeah. well, the ninth or tenth chosen by the writers. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, you know, I think that. But I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, he only had barely over 2,000 hits in a. Uh... Now, that sounds like a, a, a car issue or uh, a yeah, or, or, or fire alarm. Fire alarm. What do we got? It was, it was a car issue, but it was my fault from the honking. I didn't see him come out of where. So I almost had a, I almost had a little car, car crash. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it was, my, it, was my, it was my fault. Uh, but, yeah, uh, my big thing was that the guy played 17 years. Only once did he finish in the top 13 MVP voting. Uh, Jeff Kent finished in the top 10 four times. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. So, uh yeah, I mean, you know, I know people are upset. Say, ah, is it the Hall of Very Good or things like that? So everybody's always, always mad at something. It's really weird because so we look at the ballot. It went down like this. Okay, so Scott Rowland gets seventy six point three, so that gets him in over seventy five percent. Todd Helton's another guy like Rowland. Okay, nice player, seventy two point two. Billy Wagner and a lot of Astro fans were were climbing for Billy Wagner, you know, relief pitcher. Andrew Jones. I mean, Andrew Jones seems like, you know, he's he's always there. He's talked about the pride of Curacao. I mean, our, our friends in Curacao called the show yesterday, and they're banging the drum. Where's Andrew Jones? We don't get that. And then, you know, the way he tapered off, I guess, at the end of his career, that kind of, you know, gets him down the list a little bit. But, you know, 58.1. And then, like you said, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran, Jeff Kent, and then here's a guy no one's talking about today, Alex Rodriguez. At 35% of the vote, Alex Rodriguez still not getting any love. And then there's Manny Ramirez and Omar Vizquel. Well, you know, with the, uh, let's put it this way. I voted for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens every single year, all 10 years. Right. Uh, I have not and will not vote for Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez. Uh, those guys flunked drug tests and were suspended. Uh, Clemens and Bonds never flunked a, um, a test. And they were never suspended. And all those guys did was help their team win. How can you get in the Hall of Fame when you're suspended an entire season and cost the Yankees a playoff berth, you know, in Rodriguez? Mm-hmm. Uh, Manny Ramirez, remember, he crushed the Dodgers that year when he got suspended for PEDs. So I draw the line there. Uh, the Pascal situation, just the off the field with the uh, uh, you know, sexual assault case and stuff, you know, that that's what, you know, right. get, got him. You know, he'll fall, he'll fall off the belt completely one of these days. Uh, but it's too bad because he was a Hall of Fame player. It just seems like with baseball that m- those off the field issues or the steroid issues, it, despite those guys having you know great careers even outside of, of using the steroids, that it just it just factors in. I mean, it's just like a hard no. And where other sports we don't see that. And you know, it's funny we talk about Alex Rodriguez, right? And you're and you're adamant about you know no way I'm going to vote for him, and, and your points are valid. I mean, there's no question about that. But let me ask you this, Bob: Why do people just, especially not just people, but networks like ESPN who hires Alex Rodriguez, and they you just seem like okay, this guy is in a positive light. You know, with the network, he's in a positive light. You know, with people, people still want to gather around and get their pictures taken with him and all that sort of thing. But it's like, okay, this guy's probably never going to get in the Hall of Fame. Have people forgotten about that? But then again, you know, writers and other people are just going to say, nope, we we're, we're, we're going to hold it against you. But it, it just seems strange how ESPN was just so uh, eager to, you know, hire this guy and give him a multi million dollar contract. Yeah, no, I agree. I was surprised ESPN and MLB has kind of made him, you know, the, the face of baseball yeah. in, in some regards. And, uh, yeah, I mean, here's a guy who sued Major League Baseball. He sued the Players Association, you know, when he uh, got suspended and everything else. 
So yeah, it's that part's strange. It drives a lot of uh, people, a lot of players crazy. Uh, but you know, hey, he's he's admitted to it. He says, hey, I was wrong. I was stupid. I did this. Uh, but yet he did it. You know, what are you, what are you gonna do? So that's I don't think. Hey, Barry, there's no way in the world he'll ever get in the Hall of Fame uh, if Barry Bonds is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, nobody's greater than Barry Bonds unless you want to talk about Babe Ruth. Uh, so he's got no chance until until Barry Bonds gets in the Hall of Fame. You talked about Bonds, you know, Schilling, Clemens, you know, Sosa. I will throw him in there as well, too. And, you know, are there other guys that feel like you that Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame? Or what's the percentage of of the writers that just say, "Hey, you know, you know, no way in the world." I think his last uh, tally was around sixty one, sixty two percent. So you know, still he's seventy five. He and he didn't come close until the last year. You know, he wasn't that close. Uh, my thing was that was a wild, wild west. I covered that whole era, and uh, the only sin that Barnes made was breaking Hank Aaron's record. If he isn't Brent K. Aaron's record, I think he's in the Hall of Fame. People punishing him like he was just, it's almost like he was too good. And so, uh, yeah, there's so many, you know, there's got to be at least five to ten guys in the Hall of Fame right now who are steroid users. How how many guys, I didn't say how many guys, let me ask you this. Um, so, do people take into account, say, a guy's, attitude you know when you go try to interview him in the clubhouse or on the field before or if the guy's just not giving you know reporters uh, the time of day or whatever it just seems like that that might factor into it too is there some grudge holding when it comes to that you think i don't think much another thing doesn't exist at all mm-hmm. i think it has helped some guys you know get you know stand about like a dory hunter right. one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet uh i think he gets you know votes because of that but, you know, hey, Jeff Kent, you know, wasn't a warm and fuzzy guy. He was very similar to Bonds in many ways. But I don't think anyone holds that over Kent and says, okay, he was a, uh, a jerk to me. He wasn't giving me interviews. I don't think people say I'm not going to vote for him for that. I think it existed before. I don't think it exists much at all now. Lou Whitaker. Would, would you make a case for Lou Whitaker? You can. I mean, people do it because of Trammell. Uh, right. You know, really the fact that Trammell played uh, shortstop and, uh, I don't know. It's a, uh, with, with Whitaker, I think if you do him, then you're talking about, okay, if Lou Whitaker's in, then you can put in Chase Utley and go on and on like that. Are you, you know, uh, are you going to do a, uh, uh, you know, Chase Utley plus Jimmy Rollins? So, uh, you know, Whitaker's on that veterans committee ballot, uh, several times and has it snipped the Hall of Fame. He didn't even make the ballot last time for even people to vote on him. Right. Yeah, every year we hear about players falling off the ballot. We we touched upon that, like with Jeff Kent, because of this this time provision, right? Uh, what is the reasoning for having that time provision there, Bob? A lot of people think it went in to kind of get Bonds and Clemens off the ballot. They didn't want them sticking around for fifteen years. I also think the, the Hall of Fame thought, man, if you if you can't get in the first ten years, you shouldn't get in at all. Even though we've seen cases like, like Burt Blyblevin, I think he was the 15th year or 14th year. So, you know, Jim, uh, Jim Rice, I want to say, was 15th year. Uh, I just I thought that just too many guys run about, clog it up. So that's why it went to effect. A lot of people think it was strictly because of the steroid guys trying to get, you know, trying not to keep Bonds and Clemens on for an extra five years. Mm-hmm. Bob Nightingale joins us, fine writer at the USA Today. Covered Major League Baseball a very, very long time. We're talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland, Fred McGriff, uh, they will be inducted into Cooperstown coming up this summer. Bob, with all the scrutiny that we've talked about and people always questioning this time of year, uh, has there ever been discussions to change the criteria or the voting process? Not too much, to my knowledge. I know people bring it up, like, "Hey, how come a uh, how come a Ben Scully, you know, when he was alive, how come he's not voting? How come uh, uh, a Bob Costas and stuff like that?" But it's, you know, it's been that way forever. Where it's just a uh, the baseball writers, you know, qualification is you've got to be in the uh, uh, baseball writer active for ten straight years to be have a vote, and then when you uh, when you retire or you you know quit the business, I think you get it for another ten years after that, and th- and then you're done. But I, I can see that. I, mean, I think the Hall of Fame's point is on guys like the broadcasters is that they work, you know, work for teams. 
Right. You know, does that mean Vince Scully would have to, you know, vote vote for uh, every Dodger that came in, that sort of thing? So I just think they wanted to make sure there was no conflict. Yeah, and I, I guess my question is more along the lines of, you know, this situation here where, okay, it's 75%, uh, you know, where should, should the criteria maybe or the percentage be lowered? Should there be different ways to look at it? And it just seems like in, in everything, whether it's, you know, competition committees in every sport or just, you know, businesses in general, they usually, you know, kind of look at things, you know, every few years to say, okay, are we getting this right? Can there be, should there be some changes? Changes in the way we approach things. Do you do you think that there should be some adjustments made when we're talking about who and how to elect, you know, people into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, you could lower it, but I think the one thing you could change if the if the Hall of Fame wanted to is just like the NFL. I don't, I don't know about the NBA, but there's no character clause. Uh, you know, you can commit murder if you had a great career. You're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, I like they took down OJ Simpson's plaque in the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, with what happened there. So you could do it with a character clause. And that way, all you're doing is just going strictly on performance. Mm, all right. All right. Moving off of that, Bob, uh, we got the news uh, last week. Uh, Trevor Bauer released by the Dodgers. Uh, do you think anybody picks this guy up? I don't. Yeah. Uh, I really don't. I just think it's a, uh, a PR nightmare. Uh, I think it'd be create a circus wherever he goes. Uh, I think the teammates would have a hard time with it. And the one thing, if he was a, a guy in the clubhouse that everybody loved, but he's such a polarizing guy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's why, I mean, you know, I know the argument, Hey, should he be suspended just for being in the, uh, you know, in the deviant sex acts, that, that sort of thing. But hey, there's you know three different women that said they went to the hospital. Right. That's right. I just I just can't see uh, a team doing that. Plus, you're going to risk. I would think you'd have some corporate sponsors saying, "Wait a minute, now I know I'm not. I mean, my ads on TV when this guy's pitching. Right. I mean, so what? You know, this guy's still what uh, in his early 30s, right? 31, 32 years old. Yeah, and, I think he just turned. I just think he turned 32. Yeah. yeah. What do you think happens to to him? I mean, does he go play in Japan? Would he be welcomed over there? Or I mean, it sounds like, and I think I agree with you. We've probably seen the last of Trevor Bauer in Major League Baseball, right? I would think so. I know people have brought up. Well, can he go to Korea? Can he go to a uh, Japan? Mm-hmm. For some reason, I think there's some kind of thing with Korea that hey, you have, if you're involved in anything like that, you know, they don't want you. I'm I'm not sure about uh, Japan, so it's possible, you know, particularly if someone you know gives them you know that that kind of money. Uh, but I, I don't know, you know, he probably doesn't need the money, you know, first of all, just because he made, just made about you know seventy million dollars from the Dodgers. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of of the other leagues, you know, South Korea, Japan. I'm just wondering, Bobby. I mean, are you just been kicking back there uh, at your your chalet there, your mansion there in in, in Arizona, or are you are you touring around, or are you going anywhere? Because I w- I thought Bob might Nightingale just might be at the Venezuelan Championship game. You know, the other day where Ronald Acuna Jr. went deep. Now, Bob, I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, we got to play this because this this is a classic call, and I'm going to ask you to translate it for me afterwards. Última hora, increíble, y la volvió a dejar pasar. Y aquí, atazo grande por el center field. Allá la bola se va, se va, se va, se va. Candela, señores, Rona la cuña voló la cerca por el centerfield. Una más para la Guaira que ahora gana 5 a 3. Hoy no lo han hecho out a Rona la cuña. Bueno, y ahora cuña, ahora sí es verdad que de aquí para abajo las pistas van a ser. <laughs> I like that part. That. Bob, what do you say? It's a home run. I get that. <laughs> I'm saying uh, what he should have said, or what he said, what he should have said was, man, did you see that crazy bat flip and him walking to first base? Yes. And showing up the other team. Right. And let's, let's see what happens. The next eight guys are going to get hit that come to the plate. That's what he should have said. Right. And exactly. There's no way in the world you can do that in the United States. Just zero chance. 
without you imagine doing that and Max Scherzer's on the mound. Oh, oh my god. Forget about it. exactly. And he was like posing. He's just like, you know, going down the line. And I, I think it took him like 30 seconds just to get to first base. When I saw that video, it, it cracked me up. But this is what is so acceptable, you know, in Puerto Rico, Venezuela, all these other places, right? And then these guys try to bring that aspect to Major League Baseball and, you know, the Jose Bautista bat flip years ago and everything. And then, you know, whoa, you know, American players managed to say, no, we're not having any of this. There just seemed to be a big disconnect there, huh? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been to WBC games and stuff, and particularly the ones in Miami are a blast. Yeah. Uh, it's fun to see the enthusiasm and stuff, but there still is a thing called, you know, sportsmanship. You know, it's like you just can't do that. I don't think there'll ever be a day you can go that far. I mean, people went crazy over the Batista bat flip, but I was just out of sheer emotion. This one with the Kuna is like, oh, went a little, a little too far. It's one thing to flip your bat, but just to kind of, uh, do that. Uh, you know, I mean, we've always seen part of it. Remember, you know, Dennis Eckersley used to be very flamboyant to the mound. Yep. We used to have guys, uh, uh was it? Uh, someone was, you know, like blowing smoke at, like they used to fire off a pistol. You know, <laughs> right. Kind right. of um, blowing smoke in the air. Yeah. yeah. And we've seen that, but not, uh, <laughs> but not to that degree. I don't think I've ever seen something like that. The only thing is that you worry about is little kids see it. Yeah. And like, oh my God! Okay, if he can do it, yeah, I'm gonna start doing that my little again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff, man. Uh, real quick here, we look at uh, the free agent signings. We've we've had uh, you know, quite a few, man, and a lot of money being being shelled out. Uh, give me your quick take on uh, winners and losers here in the off season. Well, certainly the uh, uh, San Diego Padres. When I mean, you get a guy like Xander Bogarts coming in there, you know that's unbelievable. Uh, that you know getting a shortstop that's so good and you're moving a Tatista to the outfield. Uh, you know, and then the Philadelphia Phillies, we get Trey Turner there and get Taiwan Walker. You know, the Mets did a nice job. Uh, the Cubs spent over $300 million, you know, including Dan P. Swanson. So uh, those are the teams that jump out the most. I think the most fascinating team really is the Dodgers. The Dodgers have done so little but yet they're still so good. It's like, you know, can you imagine if they won the World Series or even went deep into October? I think it'd be a greater accomplishment than winning the 2020 COVID World Series because just doing it pretty much with uh, largely homegrown players you know, would be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. All right. I'd be remiss if we didn't uh, bring up our good friends team here, uh, the Houston Astros. They uh, Dana Brown is uh, their new general manager. Uh, just just signed today, and we know that uh, you know Brown has been around the Blue Jays organization and also the Braves. Uh, give me your thoughts uh, regarding Dana Brown and a the fit there, uh, taking over for James Click and uh, you know working with Dusty, of course, and then uh, also Jim Crane, the owner. Absolutely love the move, love it. I heard last week it was the front runner. I heard this morning he got the job. Uh, I couldn't be more happy, really, in the sense where this guy is a uh, a great scout at heart. I mean, he found uh, a bunch of Atlanta guys. You know, Spencer Strider, right. who finished second rookie of the year. Uh, Michael Harris, you know, one rookie of the year. Uh, you know, he's paid his dues. And, uh, you know, historic, too. It's cool. And this is only the second time in baseball history we've had a black GM and a black manager, yep. uh, you know, on the same time. The only other time was Kenny Williams and Jerry Manuel. Uh, you know, back from 2000 to 2003 with the White Sox. Right. So, but yeah, this guy, uh, everybody loves this guy. I've never heard anybody speak like, they say he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Mm-hmm. You know, so nice. You, you know, he shouldn't be in baseball. He's that nice of a guy. But no, I've heard not, you know, nothing but great, great st- uh, things about him. You know, and give Jim Crane some credit <laughs> as well, too. I mean, for, you know, making this move and, and again, you know, hiring Dusty, you know, three plus years ago and, you know, in, in, in doing, you know, these, these type of things. And we know that Crane took kind of a larger role last year, uh, because we know there was some disconnect there, you know, with, with James Click and everything. But I agree with you. I think, I think it's a great move. And as we know, a lot of these, you know, owners, not just in baseball, but other sports as well, too. They're very slow moving, you know, when it comes to diversity and other aspects like that. I got to give Jim Crane, I don't know how much time you spent with him, but I got a chance to spend a little bit of time with the guy. Uh, I, I think he's fantastic. Yeah. You know, we've gone to dinner several times, went to dinner you know, during the playoffs last year. Uh, I really enjoy him. I mean, he took a chance in Dusty when Dusty was pretty much done. Yes. Uh, you know, being out of the game, no, no one did that. Here's a funny little story for you. 
is that so Dana Brown, he had interviewed twice before, once in uh, for the Mets job when he went to Sandy Alderson. The other one was in Seattle when he had uh, Jerry Depoto. And if he got the Seattle job, he had told the Mariners ownership, if I get it, I'm bringing Dusty Baker in as my manager. This is like five, six, seven <laughs> you know, years ago. And so that's how much he uh, respected and admired Dusty back then. So very cool now that they're back together. That is. That is, that is for the first time. Yeah. Absolutely. No, looking forward to this season with that. And what do you think? Uh, give us real quick teams to look out for. And uh, let's start with the Astros. I mean, is there a possibility they go back to back? Very good. I mean, you know, it's so hard to do. You know, we haven't seen it since the uh, Yankees. Uh, I, they're still the, you know, they're still the pride of the uh, of the division. Mm-hmm. I know the AL West has gotten better. The Angels should be better. Seattle, you know, gave everybody a scare last year. But you know, they should still win that division. And then, uh, and then we'll see. Uh, and they let Justin Berliner walk away without even blinking. Like, hey, we, we really don't need the guy. Yeah, <laughs> we love what he did. we love what he did, but we're not sure he can do it again. So let's him let him walk. Uh, you know, I love getting Jose Abreu. Great guy for the clubhouse. I hope he still has you know enough left. Right. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that'll be great. Padres and kick. I saw where the Padres now are capping their season ticket sales in a couple of days. They're going to sell out every game this season. <laughs> so you know, you can't help but get excited. You know uh, uh, about that team. Uh, Philadelphia. You know, love Philadelphia. Uh, what they've done. Trey Turner, I think, is one top five players in baseball. Yep. So I, I think to be a, a very good club to watch, watch for. And of course you still have the Mets. You still have uh you still have Atlanta. Uh, but yeah, it seems like a, a lot more powerful teams in the national league you know, than, than the American league. Right. All right. I don't know if you've uh, got your calendar out yet, uh, Bob, and uh, you already, you know what you're doing, you know, come opening day and stuff like that. But uh I've uh I've got it circled out there to go see the Astros open up against the White Sox and happens to be Final Four, uh same time in Houston. I'm I'm already ready to go, Bob. Are you gonna meet me out there? Where do you think you're gonna be opening weekend? Tell you what, I made my hotel room maybe uh, two months ago. Yeah, and uh, so I'm all set for Houston. But the difference between me and you is uh, I'm not coming to Final Four. Those hotel rates go from about. Two hundred dollars until about a thousand dollars on that on that Friday. I know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna see the season opener and I'm leaving the next day. So I can't stay around like you can. No, come on. <laughs> big budget there, Bob. Come on. I mean USA Today, they got they got big pockets. Come on now. Let's, let's go. What are you gonna charge? I can, okay. Can you bring a sleeping bag for me? I'll just do a sleep in your room. There you go. Yeah, I can see all four games. You, okay. you know that that is a that is a funny story because I had a guy. So I went to the Final Four in New Orleans last year, and uh, same thing. I had a buddy of mine. He said, "Hey, you you know you could you could stay with uh, with me because I wasn't sure if I was gonna go or not." I go, "Okay, that's fine. I'll do it." And what I do, he's got two other guys. He's got two other guys in there. And I go, what are you doing? I go, this isn't summer camp. I'm not in seventh grade. I go, I am not sleeping with three other dudes. And I said, and he goes, okay, you can have the bed. You can have the bed. And Bob, it was, it was a nightmare. And I dreaded this thing. Like for like two nights, I go, how am I going to put up with this? Luckily for me, I don't know if I scared the guys out of the room or what, but the bottom line was they spent most of the night on Bourbon Street and everything. So at least I got some sleep and I did get the bed. Yeah. I mean, when you're in New Orleans, uh, <laughs> if you get in before seven o'clock in the morning, it's, it's a, it's an early, it's an early night. Uh, I still remember that. I still remember the time when, uh, winter rings are in New Orleans. Uh, last night there, uh, Kevin Towers, Bruce Bochy, go hit the casino, Harris Casino, uh, strike it big. They both went over $20,000. They come in at seven o'clock in the morning. Kevin Towers walks into a suite. And he forgot he had a staff meeting that morning because before the rule five draft, he throws his money up in the air and says, guys, just draft whoever the hell you want. I'm going to bed. <laughs> that's a great story oh too funny that's new, orleans. that's new orleans that's new orleans there you go man all right all right well good all right well we'll see if uh you know i'll, I'll have a sleeping bag ready for you right there you know right 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 next, right next to the door how's that all right i'll use a lot i'll use a bathroom lobby to help you thank you very much there you go all right brother hey appreciate the time as always man enjoy the rest of your off season and uh we'll talk to you soon Sounds good. Take care, buddy. That's my guy. There is Bob Nightingale, the USA Today. Uh, got a chance to spend a lot of time with Bob uh, the last uh, couple of years, especially last year in the Astros uh, World Series run. Uh, great guy. Uh, always fun. Great stories. Bar none. 
the the best writer in the business, no question about it. And again, I mean, he knows there's scrutiny when it comes to, you know, the voting for these players. But you know, Bob tells it like it is. He he knows it's not a it's not a perfect system at all. But uh yeah, one of the best and been doing a long, long time. All right, we come back, we start handicapping the AFC and NFC Championship game. Scott Spritzer's going to join us next. I got something for you. Here's the man, the myth. The oracle has spoken. The mouth. You hear me talking? T.C. Martin. All right, don't forget, we got some great shows coming your way. Ringo Starr and his all-star band, May the 24th, 26th, and 27th at the Venetian Theater. Tickets are on sale now. At uh, the Venetian and also at Ticketmaster. And also David Spade, Nikki Glasser. You got to like that coming up here. And tickets go on sale tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. for those performances. April 28th and 29th, June 30th, July 1st, September 29th and 30th, and also November 17th and 18th. That is at the Venetian Theater as well. Again, tickets go on sale tomorrow morning, so get ready for all the laughs as the comedians David Spade and Nick Glass are teaming up on select weekends from April through November at the Venetian Theater. And uh big announce date coming up uh next week. Van Morrison in concert coming in September at Planet Hollywood at the Zappos Theater. Uh, great venues. And as we know, Cool in the Gang coming your way uh, on February the 10th and the 11th at the International Theater inside the Westgate. And we will have tickets to give away for all of those shows. All right. Not only is he a handicapper, but I think he's a music handicapper as well, too. Scott Spritzer joins us now. What's going on, my man? Hey, how's it going, TC? It's good, man. What do you got? What do you got? What's happening? Oh, man, just, you know, kicking back and ready for this big slate of college basketball. And, of course, a couple of NFL games this weekend. Can't wait to see them get started. So, yeah, I'm, I'm basically ready to, go, ready to go, is what I tried to say. And, uh, and definitely in college basketball, where I'd like to get involved a little in-game from time to time. Okay. So I know we got a, a decent uh, schedule on tap. I would like to ask you about a couple of these games here tonight, uh, especially over in the Pac-12. We've got the, the Battle of L.A. going on tonight, Scott. SC and UCLA. And a narrow two-point victory for the Bruins uh, when they met about a month or so ago. Are we seeing a little revenge possibly for SC tonight? Or what, what are your thoughts on two teams that really can't shoot it from beyond the three-point arc at all? <laughs> Yeah, I went against UCLA in that first meeting, and they won by two, and so we covered that point spread, and basically it was USC controlling the, the temple and everything else in that game, and it was a pretty big point spread. It was, I can't remember exactly, but I'm going to say it was around nine in that neighborhood, and again, it was. It looked like it was going to be a loss for me and for USC against the spread, not just straight up, uh, because UCLA did jump out early in that game, and they held a a double-digit lead at one point, and UCLA, uh, USC was able to slow the tempo down a bit, and they got right back in it and cut it to a two-point game. They outscored them like 32-16 to 16 in the second half of that game after trailing by, I believe it was 16 or 18 uh, at the break. So, And also, here's kind of why I like UCLA tonight, besides the fact that we've seen the, you know, the price moves down because of the home court advantage changing hands. But in that game where USC scored 58 points and lost by two, they hit 60% of their two-pointers in that contest. And I know they had a bad night, three-point shooting. They didn't get to the free-throw line too much. But they hit 60% of their two-pointers where UCLA hit 34%. They went 11 for 32. And so when I, when I look at that, everything that went into that, USC trailing by 16 or 18 at the half, and they've been able to come back and hold UCLA to 16 second half points. Slightly fluky. I think, you know, am I going to be shocked if UCL, USC takes this game to the wire in a rivalry game? No, you're never shocked in that situation. But I think too much had to happen out of the norm for USC to lose by just two the first time around. And I think UCLA will get it done. And the thing about USC is like, if you defend the two pointer, they don't shoot the three well at all. They're great on defense against the two, but they don't shoot well at all uh, when it comes to the three-point shot. And one thing about US, uh, UCLA is they defend both inside and the outside uh, of the arc quite well. So I think UCLA finds a way to win seven or eight points. I didn't bet the game, but I think they'll get the cover. Yeah, it looks like this number is uh, hovering around uh, the number of uh, four and a half right now, UCLA. 
uh, tonight to the Galen Center at USC. Sticking in the Pac-12, Arizona, uh, you've got uh, Arizona and Washington State tonight. A little revenge game for the Arizona Wildcats, Scott, as we know that Washington State went into Tucson and blasted them, and now you've got the the Cats, a, a road favorite by about five points or so. What do you think? Yeah, the Cougars are better than the record, but I don't like them here tonight. That lines up to five for the most part. Uh, obviously, like you said, revenge is going to be part of the equation or the motivation for Arizona. They lose that game uh, to Washington State on January 7th, which snapped an eight-game winning streak for uh, U of A. They made just four of 25 three-pointers in that game. Uh, they only made 42% of their two-point attempts, too, in that contest, and they even missed TC 11 of 28 free throws. It was just like a horrible night where, you know, the stars, it didn't exactly align for Arizona. And no matter where they shot the ball, even at the free throw line with nobody in your face, they just couldn't make their shots. So this is a team that is the 10th most accurate two-point shooting team in college basketball. You know, I just mentioned they hit 42% of their twos. They hit 57% of their two-point attempts on the season, number 10 in the nation. And they rank 11th in adjusted offensive efficiency, according to Kid Palm. So I, I do expect Arizona to bounce back here. And again, the Cougars are tough at home. Uh, they obviously can play well at times on the road. They're better than their, than their record says they are, uh, but they're bad against the two. So that was complete flukiness, as I make up words, uh, by U of A that first time around in, in their two-point shooter. And I think they bounce back tonight. And uh, both those teams we saw here at the MGM uh, for the doubleheader when Washington State uh, played uh, UNLV. And then we saw Arizona play Indiana, uh, and that was a game where Arizona just whitewashed uh, Indiana. And then we saw UNLV defeat uh, Washington State. But you're right. since then, Washington State has played a heck of a lot better. We talked about a couple Pac-12 games. I want to talk to you real quick about two Big Ten games tonight. And uh, one will start at 4 o'clock, one at 6 o'clock. And we're talking about Iowa at Michigan State in this contest. And then a little bit later on, number one, Purdue, is at Michigan in both of these games. Uh, Scott, we've got uh, a little road favorite action in this one. Uh well, actually, I take that back. Michigan State is actually at home. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites at Iowa, and then Purdue's a five-point choice on the road at Michigan. Yeah, as far as the Michigan State game is concerned, I have an opinion. I did a video where I, I basically am talking about opinions that I have on videos every night where it might be a very small wager or just falls short of a wager. And what I do with those is I end up using them as opinions and tell the people that on the videos. And in that game with Iowa and Michigan State, I lean towards Michigan State. I think, boy, this Iowa team, TC, has been so weird and yeah. so up and down, you know, throughout the course of this season. I used them, like, early in the season a couple of times when they were a huge favorite over North Carolina A&T. They were like a 30-point favorite. They won by 41. And I used them again against Omaha where they were about a 31, 32-point favorite. They won by 36. So they were just tearing teams apart, but they're like bullies. I mean, I give them credit for beating Maryland. That's a tough game, but that was at Iowa City. They beat Michigan in overtime at home. But they went through a, a chunk of the season where by January 1st, I'm thinking, man, this team is a bully. They can handle the, the teams they outman and outgun, but when they go up against a good team, they get popped in the nose, and all of a sudden they have to change their plans. And, you know, we saw them lose to Eastern Illinois, you know, 30-something point favorite against a team that's ranked 350th out of 363 teams, and they lose by nine at home in Iowa City to Eastern Illinois. So it's really a, a, a freaky kind of team to try to, to navigate and try to handicap. Tonight against Michigan State, I think State's just going to be a little bit too tough for Iowa on the defensive end. Uh, they're top 40 in adjusted efficiency on defense, you know, top 35 when it comes to effective defensive field goal percentage. And they don't turn the ball over. And one thing about Michigan State, they make you work for everything because they're one of the better teams in college basketball when it comes to turnover percentage on the offensive end. And they can drain the three. Uh, they're one of the top teams in basketball when it comes to three-point accuracy. I think Michigan State should shoot more threes. They don't shoot a ton of them, but when they do, they make them. And I, I thought that line was just a little bit low, so I, I lean Michigan State in that one. No, I'm with you. Just to echo your thoughts on, on Iowa, they've been a schizo team, and I still can't get you know out of my brain the way they ended the month of December when they lost what four out of five games uh and, and you know you mentioned the Eastern Illinois and the one after that was at your boys Nebraska Nebraska right. crushed them like 66 yeah. to 50 
And then uh, they went to Penn State, and they lost there as well, too. But then they defeat Michigan. They look pretty good. Maryland said, okay, maybe this team's back. And then they get waxed against Ohio State. And, you know, it's not that Ohio State is is a bad basketball team, but Ohio State doesn't put up 93 points on anybody, and they did against Iowa. Well, that's the thing is, like, when they play against teams that are, you know, kind of equal to them as far as program strength and pedigree, they seem to play at that other team's tempo. You know, we saw it, like you just said, against Nebraska. We saw Eastern Illinois going up and down the court on them. And you mentioned that win over Michigan, which, like I said, I give them credit for that. But, I mean, Jawan Howard is just, you know, it's about time they show him the door. Uh, that, I mean, Ken Palm even ranks Michigan 60th in, in college basketball. Yeah. With that kind of talent, that's ridiculous. And, I mean, that, that's a top 30, top 25 team that's outside of the top 50 because of their head coach. So, I give Iowa credit for that overtime win, but I don't know if I want to give them too much credit. They had to go to OT in Iowa City to get that victory. Yeah, and in that game the other night, it was crazy to see uh, Ohio State score 56 points in the second (laughs) half. I I don't recall ever seeing a team score 56, especially in in the Big Ten, Scott. 56 in in a half. Crazy. Yeah. And their their bottom half in college basketball when it comes to adjusted tempo. You know, Ohio State's not even trying to score, you know, 50 points and a half. You know, it's one of those situations where, boy, just Iowa, just they do that, man. They go to sleep on defense sometimes, and I think Michigan State will get the better of them tonight. I I can't wait to kind of watch the first 10 minutes of the game to see if Mish State is – taking a few more threes than normal because they're really good at shooting it. They just don't take a ton of them. All right, Purdue, five over Michigan. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's a play that I left alone. I mean, I, I lean towards Purdue. I mean, like I said, as far as Michigan is concerned, here's the problem with going with or against Michigan, and this game's in Ann Arbor, so they do have a bit of an advantage there. And I made the line six, so I'm right there. The problem with Michigan, when I look at them, and I'm thinking, well, that's not a bad spot. You know, Purdue's won six in a row. We've seen Purdue have to eke out a couple of victories against uh, Michigan State, for instance, when they were on the road in Lincoln. They had to go to overtime against Nebraska to win. But I look at Michigan and I'm like, man, they got the talent. It's a decent spot for them to be able to, to be able to maybe knock off Purdue. And you're not going to be shocked if they do, but they've also got Jawan Howard as head coach. And the guy's just a failure. I'm sorry. I mean, I know some Michigan, you know, alums are going to say you're crazy. Well, no, I'm not. This team should be top 25. They're nowhere close to that. Yet they have the talent to be top 25. I blame that on the coach. So. As much as I'd like to play Purdue here and lay that five with my, my number being a little bit higher than that, I, I'm just going to hold off yep. because Michigan does have the talent to beat anybody in that conference and almost anybody in college basketball. They just don't have the cohesiveness or the leadership to be able to pull it off on a consistent basis. Scott Spritzer joins us. Uh, Scott over at Doc Sports. Subscribe to his uh, plays at DocSports.com. Scott obviously handicaps it all. Does a fantastic job, as we well know. Uh, NFC Championship Sunday, Scott. Fascinating matchups. Uh, you really can make the case for all four teams going to the Super Bowl here. How tough are these two games for you to handicap? Well, I like Philly, and I did make the bet there. The San Francisco, the uh, not the San Francisco, the Kansas City Cincinnati game uh, is is a I think a just a great qualifier for in game betting because we're going to find out early on if Patrick Mahomes is able to overcome that high ankle sprain. You know, one thing I had said about Philly when we were talking about their game, you know, last week or you know the first playoff game with Jalen Hurts at quarterback was this is a great game for in game betting because we're going to find out early on if Jalen Hurts is keeping the ball on RPOs, if they're calling his number on running plays like they did throughout the course of the regular season. And, I, and I'd said on a few shows that if they are, if they're doing that, then you know that Jalen Hurts is at least 90 95% healthy. And if they don't do that, then you know if he's handing the ball off and looking to hand the ball off on those RPOs and things of that nature, and they're not calling his number on, on running plays, then you know he's probably banged up, and you can make your adjustments in-game. That's what I feel about Mahomes. You know, remember a couple of years ago in that Super Bowl against, against Tampa Bay, Kansas City got crushed 31-9, to and Mahomes had the ankle problem in that game. He couldn't pivot when he'd make his throws. He couldn't run outside of the pocket. And he goes 26 for 49 in that game, if you'll recall, and an average uh, per pass of you know just over five. He had a QBR of 42.2. It, it, two picks, no touchdowns. It wasn't vintage Patrick Mahomes because their offensive line was banged up and he had the injured ankle. 
Now, I know the offensive line isn't banged up this time, but he still has that ankle issue. And I know he went full practice today. All reports are saying that he went full practice. So maybe he's okay. That's why I think in that game, it's really best to just wait and do some in-game betting as soon as you find out if Mahomes is healthy or not. And this game has moved all over the place as far as the line goes. We know that you know it it opened at uh, you know Kansas City, but um, you know as as as, um, as a favorite, then it quickly went to Cincinnati, being uh, a two and a half point favorite. Now we're seeing it move back again to uh, the Chiefs as of now, uh, point point and a half. Where do you think this game ends up, Scott? Because obviously. You know, the, if you wanted Kansas City, you could have got them at actually a plus three in some places, two and a half in a lot of places, you know, on, um, you know, late Monday, early Tuesday. But, you know, once the word that got uh, out that Mahomes was, was definitely going to play, you knew that Kansas City money would car, uh, start steaming in, and it has. But uh, where do you think this thing just settles in at, and what do we see kick off on Sunday? Yeah, I think based off of the fact that all reports are that he practiced, you know, fully today. And I, I think that. Plus, you know, public influence, all that kind of stuff, that it, it probably goes to two, two and a half, as long as there's no news that Mahomes is having any problems between now and kickoff. And, you know, here's one thing that goes back that I didn't mention to potentially playing this game in an in-game bet. There's a, there's a metric called EPA per dropback, and it's kind of a newfangled metric. But what it does is it basically accounts for a quarterback's ability to pass and scramble as opposed to just using a passer rating. Guess who's number one in the NFL in this metric? Patrick Mahomes, number one in QBA EPA, a QB EPA. And if he's unable to do what makes him number one in that metric because of his ankle, then you got a situation where all of a sudden this isn't the Kansas City Chiefs that we bet on or watched all season long. So it's just another metric to throw in there. The best in the business, Patrick Mahomes. And I think what is a very important uh, metric. So I do think it'll get to two. I don't know about two and a half, but you know, if there's no news on this guy struggling with that ankle, I just think it goes up at least another half point, maybe full point. And I think the big question mark for me is, is what's going to happen with this Kansas City defense? You know, right. you know, Chris Jones is basically been void of showing up anytime, anywhere in the playoffs. If Frank Clark does his job, but then you look at the secondary, there's three rookies sure. back there. I mean, so as much as I'd like to play Kansas City, and we know that Mahomes is going to be very, very limited as far as he's not going to be able to roll out. It's going to be probably a lot of the dink and dunk variety. I mean, it's going to be impossible for him to plant on that back foot. I mean, it just seems like, oh, okay, I'm talking myself into Cincinnati. But, Scott, I just can't get out of my head that Cincinnati-Baltimore game two weeks ago. I know they look fantastic right. at Buffalo, but I guess I guess that's why I'm having some problems handicapping this game. Yeah, Baltimore was so such a beast all season long on defense, though, you know, and, and Kansas City's not quite at the level of the Baltimore Ravens when it comes to the defensive side of the football. I mean, I've been looking for reasons – other than Mahomes' ankle injury to back Cincinnati this week. You know, I, I just love what they do on offense with their weaponry, and they can take advantage of some of what, you know, they don't see when they play Baltimore. Plus, Baltimore knows them inside now for playing them two times a year. But, yeah, again, it's like it's tough, man. It's like you're trying not to get uh, too much hype and into your handicapping based off of what Cincy did to Buffalo, but you're also trying not to take away too much from Cincy and your handicapping based on the situation against Baltimore. Again, they could have lost – even though Lamar Jackson's nowhere near the field, not even in the uh, in the area code, you know, so it's it's tough to find that equal balance. And again, that's why I think that's that's a good game for in-game betting. Yep. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Niners and the Eagles. Eagles two and a half point choice, open one and a half, been settled in at two and a half. Thoughts on this game, and where do you think uh, there will be any line movement here before kickoff? It keeps showing, you know, every book I see, it's like two and a half minus juice. And they keep yeah. adjusting the juice minus a dollar fifteen, minus a dollar twenty five. But nobody seems to want to be that first to take it to three, and they know they'll get buyback, of course, if they do. But I like Philly in this spot. I mean, it's going to be obviously Brock Purdy's toughest test to date. Uh, he's played in just two road games in this his rookie season, and the two defenses that he faced on the road were ranked 21st and 31st in DVOA. They were the Seahawks and the Raiders in those two games. Well, the Eagles are sixth in defensive DVOA. They're number one against the pass. That EPA dropback quarterback metric I just mentioned, well, the Eagles are number one on defense in the EPA dropback metric. Uh, the average defense 
as far as EPA dropback metric is concerned, that Brock Purdy faced in his first six games was number 21, 21st in the league. The Cowboys were the best they faced. They were sixth. And it was the first time we saw a pretty struggle. You know, Dallas held them, what, to four field goals, a rushing touchdown, and just over 300 yards. And also, the Eagles not only own the NFL's best pass rush, but they've held six of the last seven opponents to under 200 net passing yards. So it'll be the best defense Purdy's ever faced. Uh, his offensive line struggled with Dallas's defensive front. And now they face Philly's defense with 70 sacks on the season. To put that in perspective, the next best sack team had 55. Philly had 70. And then, of course, you got Jalen Hurts. You got a pair of 1,000-yard receivers, 1,000-yard rusher. I just think this team is so much more physical on offense than what we saw last year. And while San Francisco has the outstanding weaponry on offense, they are a bit binged up, and they got to go up again with a rookie quarterback against this defense. And then final thoughts, if you like trends, Eagles 9-2-1 and as home chalk against the spread when Hurts is a quarterback. They are 7-0 against the spread as single-digit chalk. You know, I don't base things off of trends, but they're fun when they're kind of the icing on the cake. I do like Philly to get the win here and the cover. All right. When you're talking about the total in both of these games, we saw some low total, or actually saw unders last week, but we're seeing some high totals here. Both of you are on 46, 47, and we're going to have some cold weather in Kansas City, not so much in Philly. It'll be around 52 degrees. Real quick, Scott, how do you handicap these totals? Boy, I just, I, I, I'm staying away from the totals. And since yeah. Kansas City, again, will be in game as far as the totals are concerned, mm-hmm. I would probably, if I had to, I would play uh, Cincy and KC under 48 if I had to jump in right now. But I left the Niners Eagles total alone. Uh, boy, we're seeing a lot of under tickets coming in. One book I'm looking at right now, 75% of their over under tickets in that Niners Eagles game are on the under. Uh, which makes me think the over's the way to go uh, because those tickets are mostly mostly public, although that number has gone, by the way, for instance, at the Westgate, from an opening number of 45 all the way up to 46 and a half. Uh, it, the problem is, is if, if Philly gets it going, you know, they're not going to let up, obviously. It's a playoff game. You can't. They're going to keep trying to score. And San Francisco's not, you know, devoid of talent on offense. I just have a problem with Purdy having to face the best defense he's ever seen in his life. Mm-hmm. All right. Looking forward uh, to both games uh, coming up this weekend. And again, go to uh, DocSports.com for uh, for Scott's uh, selection. Subscribe to his uh, picks. It doesn't matter what sport it is. My man is all over it. And uh, we're looking forward to getting you out to the Westgate here in a couple weeks as well, my friend. I'll be out there Super Bowl Friday. Can't wait, man. You got that right. All right, brother. Be good. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, TC. There it is. My man, Scott Spritzer. Fantastic. Our handicapper extraordinaire. All right. I want to thank Scott for joining us today, as well as the quarterback, Steve Berline, giving us some great uh, stuff there, especially regarding Patrick Mahomes' ankle injury. Hey, the quarterback's talking about he's played with that exact same injury, and it uh, makes a lot of sense. So if you miss any part of that interview, the show, uh, go check it out on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Bob Nightingale talks today about the Baseball Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland, Fred McGriff, the only two uh, getting in there. And then, of course, John Murray joined us from the Westgate at the Superbook, the uh, executive director there. So if you miss any part of any of the shows, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com and wherever you get your podcasts, look at wherever you go at tcmartinshow.com. And, of course, you can get it right there as well, too. All right. We continue on tomorrow, Friday, Football Friday, handicapping in depth. Mike Pritchard's going to join us out there tomorrow. Marco D'Angelo and a whole lot more. Jake Cornegay, the vice president of the Superbook, will join us at the Westgate tomorrow. So come on by, see the show live tomorrow from 2 to 4 p.m. Until then, we'll talk to you tomorrow for a Football Friday.